0: Hello and welcome to the Dirt Buzz. This is episode 52 and I'm your host, Dale Spangler. Well, this is our season wrap session slash wrap up, if you will, for the uh, first season of the Dirt Buzz. And I'm pretty excited to have a few guests back that were already on the show this year and uh, should be fun. Do a little roundtable, talk about the crazy year we've had, racing, the industry, all kinds of good stuff. So Thanks for joining me. Appreciate everybody who's listened this year. It's been a fantastic learning experience. I've been honored to have some great guests on. been fun producing these shows, and I'll be back in 2022 with some form of the show, but I think I'm going to change up the format, do some fun, creative ideas that I've been thinking about, Uh, some of them a little bit old school in some ways, so I think it should be fun. So anyways, let's get on with the episode 52. Jason Gerald and Robin Hartfield, welcome back to the Dirt Buzz podcast. What are you guys up to on this December afternoon?
1: Enjoying the unseasonable rain and appreciating life in Southern California. There's ego dirt everywhere to be had and we're stuck here on a podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for that, man. I feel so special now. I mean, it's it's not even I pretty much made my my holiday.
1: Well, this is more important than than us going out and playing. <laughs>
0: Well speaking of that sounds I mean what about all this crazy weather like what in the heck is going on where well, we're getting all these insane tornadoes in December and you guys are getting floods and nothing really abnormal here in Idaho it's we've got snow on the ground but nothing like extraordinary like you guys seem to be having back there like I think Robin didn't I see back in Iowa where your where your house is like weren't they expecting tornadoes there here here in December Expecting
1: tornadoes. Instead, they got 70-degree weather. So it was cold and drizzly in California, and my wife was out in shirt sleeves enjoying a 70-degree day. <laughs> so definitely um, something to be said about uh, climate change. Um, but I don't believe that dirt bikes have created that that problem. And personally, I'm going to continue to burn as many fossil fuels as I can because you can't leave it for the next generation anyhow.
0: No, that's a funny point because, I, I mean, not a funny point, but that's a great point because someone had pointed that out recently, and I was like, you know, the the gallon or two that you burn in a dirt bike is nothing in comparison to, obviously, automobiles, world ride, and everything else is contributing. So, as you said, let's keep riding those dirt bikes, right?
1: Till the bitter end. Rush. Red Marchetta. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jason, what about you, man? You getting ready to go
2: out and ride yourself? What's what's next for you? Uh, there's a American retro cross race Rick Dowdy puts on that cool little series so we will I'll be out there on Sunday doing that. And we feel like we've been on the gas late. We had the Caselli Ride Day recently. Um Robin and I were uh, lucky enough to attend the HRC uh what are we going to call it? the team launch. Sweet. how that yeah, uh, Blackmore Ranch. Which well, team
1: w- launcher was that exhibition of goon riding?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Both, uh, right? Jet <laughs> Lawrence is exactly like as as advertised. That's for sure.
0: What you see is what you get, right? He just seems like he's down to earth, good, fun kid.
2: Yeah. It's like, I think that uh, Weigand said it took about five minutes for him to turn into an 18 year old and, and do the goon riding. And throughout the day, it was like, then they discovered a pump a pump track and a pump bike. And then it was game on. And I thought that we were watching a broken collarbone just about to happen in the end of the supercross season, because as you can imagine, once the uh, stopwatch comes out, so does the, uh, you know, the competition and it was game on the stopwatch,
1: I I guess that's tacit approval to go out (laughs) and and be an idiot and be a kid and enjoy life. (laughs) And when those guys got onto the flat track, um, I really wanted to get back out on the, the bike there because they were having way too much fun.
0: It was cool. Sweet HRC bike on a flat track, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was laughing too. Cause I was like, they were goon riding a couple of times. I'm like, that would be the last, I mean, the last thing you'd want to happen is somebody to throw it down because they're goon riding <laughs> before the Supercross season starts. But, but I was glad to see it because I do feel like it's gotten so serious these days to where, It has taken a lot of the fun out of racing. And in in my, you know, my perspective from being an outsider looking in, it just seems like they're so dead serious about it. Obviously there's a lot of money involved, but you still got to have fun with it. So good to see those guys having fun. That
2: that was my first takeaway is this was a Honda event and that of all places, that's where I really wasn't expecting that to go down. And it was everything from cornhole to pool, you know. And then again, the pump track, the flat track, the goon riding, I mean, it, it just seemed kind of out of character what I would have expected in the most awesome of ways. Definitely. Well, I'm excited
0: for next year. I can't wait for Supercross. I mean, I i think I'm more excited than I've been in a long time. I think I probably say that every year though, but it just keeps getting better and better. And These series have been, you know, between MXGP and like World Superbike. I mean, every series seemed like it was so good this year to where, and then having Anaheim one back in January, pretty darn cool.
1: It's like the the old hype when Bubba went, it's all about Anaheim one. And so it is again. So what's mm-hmm. old is new again.
0: Yep. And then add to that, of course, aim expo, which we'll talk a little bit more about here in a little bit, but wow, you know, kicking the season right off with a one. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, we go right into aim expo for the industry side to kind of kick everything off and set the tempo. So How are things looking there, Robin, on on that side? Does it seem like there's been a pretty good response so far? We
1: uh, just had an MIC Aftermarket Committee meeting yesterday, and Cinnamon gave us the update on where things stand. There are over 1,000 dealers uh, pre-registered, which is a record number for that event, Um, a very positive sign. Tucker's all in and uh, co-locating their national sales meeting with the AIM Expo. And a surprise, even though they're not exhibiting, a couple of the OEMs are having dealer activation events tied into AIM. So all of a sudden, this went from uh, slap a Band-Aid on it and, and let's just see what we can do to becoming a full-blown good time. Awesome. It what- may not be dealer expo in Indy yet, uh, but it's it's back on track to get there.
0: I mean, just hearing that, you know, a thousand dealers already, that's, I mean, I, I'll be frank. I was, I, that's probably the biggest part I was worried about with that show is, is getting the dealers to show up. Cause I feel like there's plenty of brands that are willing to show up and talk about their, their products, but yeah, getting those dealers there is an, is another story. That's
1: always been the the historic, um, pain point. And, and a lot of that goes back to, um, trade show math. We had the dealer expo in the Midwest in February for a reason is 50% of your nation's dealers are in that 500 mile driving radius of that. So that you can shut down a shop on a Friday and come in and, and go to your trade show. And um, we lost that when the show moved to Florida. It's surrounded on water by three sides. So it's real tough to shut down the shop and drive in. And now with the, the, the move to Columbus was a, a good step, but the timing was off. And we've trained our industry to to do this in the dead of winter, not in October, like it was when it was in Columbus. So now it looks like uh, we have a a venue that's easily accessible, especially for the international people, if COVID will ever relax its restrictions and um dealers will hopefully well, they already are they're pre-registered, they'll show up, which will be awesome.
0: yeah, this can, can, seems like it keeps growing. Like there's there's a little bit of that, you know, you're going to have, I think, flat track again, right? Johnny Lewis and his his, two, his crew are going to show up and have some races there as well, kind of get everybody hyped up. And is it two or three days? I can't remember. I think it's three days, right?
1: The show is three days. Um, they're reversing the order. So the industry party and the fun stuff happens in the beginning when everybody's all charged up. So Wednesday night is going to be the industry party and then flat track immediately after that. So Get your beer on, get out, hoot and holler, or there will be an industry class I right hear. So maybe some people will get serious about this and, and go out and show their flat track uh, lack of skills.
0: <laughs> now, I think I saw, too, where like this is sort of like, you know, I think this is a quote coming out party. Someone wrote that for the uh, National Power Sports Dealers Association, too. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of little facets going on within the show itself. So I NBA mean, it's
1: can- a, definitely a big deal. Um, and the time is ripe for that. It's, uh, it is their coming out party, but they've already reached critical mass since they, they announced, um, there's uh, more than 50 dealerships that have already stepped up and, and become part of that. So this will be icing on the cake, but I, I would recommend anybody who is a dealer, which is not your entire audience, um, Go check that out at AIM Expo. That that is the one drawback to AIM this year, is it has gone back to a trade-only format. So sorry, public, you you can't come in and have fun with us.
0: Yeah, but there's that's where like, you know, another facet of these events, I feel like they're coming back in some ways pretty strong in that, you know, you see things like these IMS outdoors that are much more like hands-on, experiential. And that seems to be kind of the rage right now. I think Rolling Sands, I think they had the Moto Beach maybe a couple months back that from what i've heard the ama vintage days just continues to just keep growing it's one of the most you know like like i think eric kudla said it was like the the biggest event that no one really knows about it's the way he kind of explained it because it's these people just want seem like they want those more face to face experiences after being cooped up for so long and so i kind of feel like i don't know what you guys think but some of these events i feel like they're going to become more you know, kind of like festival type in a way, where there's multiple events going on within a single event. What do you guys think about that?
1: Well, I can speak to that being a global phenomenon, not just a California or a a U.S.-based thing. Having been at the Eichmann show in Milan, um, they were hit first and harder by COVID than anywhere else in the world there in Northern Italy. And to see that show finally get back on and happen, days, literally the day uh, Omicron broke out was when I flew back, but... Um, (laughs) that show is, it's the granddaddy of all of them. And it's, it's the, the litmus test for us. And it was as popular as it's ever been. They just compressed it to four show halls instead of eight. So it was still shoulder to shoulder in front of the booths. Everything was awesome. If you hadn't been all the years past. So a, a guy like, um, Scott Holbrooks, at Simpson helmets. This was his first time exhibiting at that show. He was totally blown away. He couldn't believe the amount of floor traffic and the the vibe and the atmosphere that happens at an international event like that. And then with Rossi taking his final lap through on the the first of the consumer days, I mean, that was a home run everywhere.
0: Jesus. I can imagine how many people showed up just for that.
1: Uh, Their total attendance was, um, I think, 275,000 or more. And I would say 175,000 of that was on the day that uh, Rossi was up on stage.
0: Wow. just shows you the draw of that guy, you know, like what, I mean, people are just go crazy when, when he's around, It doesn't matter where he's at. And of course with him retiring this year, that probably makes it even more where people want to want to see him one last time, because he probably won't be around as much at the races going forward. That's for sure.
1: Oh, you'll see him plenty at the races. He's, uh, managing three teams in MotoGP and he's got a dirt track and a slide school of his own. And then there's a Valentino Rossi off-road gear line that was premiered there in Milan. E- every show hall had a, a Rossi pavilion with a different aspect of what VR 46 is moving forward. So I think he's going to be busier now in, in his post-race career and, and more visible maybe than ever before.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, he's. You, you said it already. I was like, it's he's going to be busier with all that stuff going on.
1: Yeah, he's got to get a real job. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, uh, Jason, are you, so from a brand perspective, I mean, I assume you're, you know, you're going probably for your brand and for motorcycle industry jobs to AIM Expo.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That one. I mean, obviously like on the Phoenix handlebars side of stuff, I mean, as you're walking, you're, you're showing face and all that stuff, but really is that feels like, you know, the type of event that you're, you're there for your industry. And that's an MIJ related thing. And I'm happy to, you know, see all of our friends, all of our industry friends and, I mean that's the thing that Robin and I talk about quite a bit. It's like aim is the product is all fine and dandy, but it's the relationship building and the being there to connect with people and, and remember kind of why we do this. You know, getting to see you for the first time and well, I guess forever. And uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, certainly looking forward to that. Uh, sometimes these trade shows end up becoming little mini job fairs as well. So, you know, there's always that you'll get the people who are getting in to see what's going on and trying to shake some, uh, some news loose to see if they can find, find new work.
0: I think that's really like, to me, I I completely believe in that hundred percent that like, it's going to be critical over the next couple of years to like, go to these events, go, go to more, you know, go to the races, you know, things like that, where you're seeing people face to face because it's just. I mean, you can't really rely on social media. I mean, I think you guys probably have noticed that too, like the downtick there where there's no guarantee, even if you pay, you know, to boost social media posts, even there, the effectiveness is kind of questionable. And so I feel like you kind of, oh, it's almost like we're getting back to the the roots of where we began 15, 20 years ago, where it was, like I got told the story when I worked at Comedic Gasket, my first job, you know, I kind of like learned marketing by emulating what steve johnson who worked for weisco you know like he he would go to the races that was their big thing weisco and comedic then were just go to the races show people the product shake hands meet people and it was just like i mean it's it's kind of refreshing so i i think after so many years of people hiding behind social media i think i think they're gonna have to start coming out to the races going to these trade shows all these different type of festival events i don't know what you guys take on that but that's that's kind of what I envision for the next few years is people are gonna to have to get back out there more.
1: We're in a unique position because our industry is based on the fact that you there's not an app for riding a motorcycle. You gotta to, to ride a motorcycle to to get it. So I think it's a, a very positive sign that we return to those routes. And there's things that happen, more business happens at the bar, at a trade show, than has ever happened online. So Let's, let's reconnect, get our industry together, go back to that old school way of doing business and and, and stop hiding behind the, the computer screens as we're talking to each other.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I believe it Ron Henson. Ron Henson just said that, right? Yeah. Yeah, when we were at the Honda event, Ron Henson said that he's certainly done more, more business at the bars in Indy than ever happened oh, yeah. on the show floor.
0: Yeah, because I feel like that's where you sort of like, You get down to the nitty gritty. You get to really know somebody, you know, have some beers with them, have dinner with them, whatever. I mean, that's really where, where, where the business comes about. Like people want to do business with a person, not necessarily the brand or the business. And so I think that's easy to forget sometimes, you know, we get, we get all this marketing speak. So what's your brand stand for? And what does it mean? People want to buy for a brand that stands for this. And in all reality, they really don't care in a lot of cases, you know, you know, price makes a difference. Convenience makes a difference. Is it available? So yeah, pretty, pretty interesting times. That's for sure.
2: Business follows friendship. That's
0: for sure.
1: Well, and friendship and fellowship. So yep. Caselli ride day, you went on that. How was the turnout for that?
2: Oh, turnout was awesome. I was really, uh, really stoked to see how many people were, were on the track. It looked pretty crazy. It, it seemed like a, uh, I couldn't tell if if there were more or less vendors that attended. Um, In some cases, it felt like there was a little less, tough to say. Um, But again, when it came to everybody doing the lap for Kurt, the track, I mean, I'm sure if anybody saw the videos, it looked like it was almost like tip to tail, bikes all over that thing. (laughs) That was was cool to see.
0: So this is a question for both of you. So like in your mind, like this boom that we're having, I mean, do you guys see that? continuing on into 2022 is this some kind of a bubble that's going to pop you know or what's what do you guys what do you guys envision there
1: supply and demand um is gonna to stay in play and it's going to be used bikes or it's going to be people keeping their machinery going longer and, and spending more money on new tires rather than new motorcycles and things like that but i can look from here out to catalina island and I don't care what the, the mainstream media is saying. Those container ships aren't moving any faster. They're not offloading. The bottleneck at the port is still the bottleneck at the port. The lack of CDL drivers to get it out of the port is still a lack of CDL drivers. Not enough chassis. And then once they get it inland, the warehouses are already filled. The railheads are jammed up. So they can't get it. Even once you, once you go up the 710 and into the Inland Empire, the product's not flowing. So... It's a different dynamic for our business, but for the consumer and the end user, there's going to be riders that appreciate it. And a, and a new motorcycle would be new for them, not necessarily a 2023 model, um, but it'll still mean as much. And because of the the influx that we got because of the COVID, I don't think we're going to lose all those people. Once people have seen On Any Sunday and got on a bike and, and done that, well, COVID did that for us again in a smaller measure. So if we can retain even 10% of that swell that we've got, our industry should be solid. Whether there's a bubble in in the real world or not, it's, I don't think it affects power sports as much.
0: Yeah. I feel like there's going to be some of these like, you know, second and third tier brands have been sort of filling in the cracks a little bit too. Like whether or not that's good or good or bad, I don't really know, but I think if it's just, if it's keeping people interested in the sport and, eventually they probably upgrade to something a little better down the road. But, you know, at least there's, you know, there's people that are kind of stepping up. Plus you have brands like I had Primo Morato on, you know, from Scott. And, you know, he was just, you know, we talked a lot about how the, the Made in America thing is becoming relevant again because, you know, for them, they're they're gaining market share back because they're able to, you know, fill orders when some of their competitors are, you know, have, have offshored. And so, you know, some of these situations, I think, Brands like that are gonna maybe start popping up a little bit more, but but overall, yeah, I agree with you. I think that w- those ships aren't aren't coming into the port fast enough, right? To fill all these uh these needs and these orders and these products that people want.
1: And it is a problem and and I shouldn't gloss over it that much. And um, we're addressing that at the MIC level and the, the Ride With Us initiative and and all of the things that have, have been launched uh, and taken priority because of COVID. There are there are some positives to take away. So I, I'm not just being flippant when I say you know it's it's made in America. It doesn't mean anything. It does mean something. But oh yeah, um, it's it's yeah. just getting those customers or anybody onto a bike that first time. However that channel is, if it's watching the remastered on any Sunday movie on a big screen, or it's the ride with us um, first time experience at, at an IMS or a Komodo event or an Overland event. And that, that's the other thing. It's broadened its focus. It's not just IMS or it's the dealer expo in Indy. Now we are looking at other channels and the Overland show and, and sand sports and things that were adjacent to our market rather than being our focal point do have a, a great place to play in our future, especially when it comes to getting more people enlightened of motorcycling.
0: Yeah, the overlanding thing, I've been learning a lot about that that uh, lately because I've been writing some pieces for Onyx off-road. And so a lot of their stuff does focus on overlanding and four by fouring. And so I'm learning it a lot, but I feel like there's definitely a lot of similarities and overlap there. So that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think if I'm not mistaken, there is a, like an East and a West version of a, some type of overlanding show that I think it was Arizona. And I don't remember where the other place was back East, but I mean, that, that segment's just massive, you know, and you see all these different people making these vans and different vehicles for, you know, overlanding that, I mean that that's just exploded alongside Power Sports as well. So yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Like from a from a uh from the MIJ side of things, Jason, like what how what have been some of the the struggles and you know, I guess pros and cons of, you know, from the perspective of employment, um, what have you noticed this year? Like it's definitely been pretty wild, hasn't it? Were we supposed to keep this to an
2: hour? What's our time limit? <laughs> Oh, as <laughs> yeah. long as you want, man. All right. I'll try to wrap this up by, by Friday. Um, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, obviously if we go all the way back to the very beginning of, of the COVID thing, yeah, it's like when I first was started to see people outside of our, our industry reaching out to us, I mean, and it was happening a lot of people asking, Hey, how do I get in the motorcycle industry? And, you know, trying to kind of coach people through that, taking some pages out of all of our playbooks, you know, of course they say when you're a little bit older and have a family and, and kids and responsibility, um, that page is, you know, it's a little muddier to read because I always tell people, I'm like, you know, just getting your foot in the door is the key, you know, from there, how you, what you do with it from there is, is kind of up to you. Um, I mean, here we are, let's fast forward to like where we are today. It's like, there are a ton of great jobs that are getting posted on MIJ in the last like two weeks. And, and not just from a dealer standpoint, but more from, you know, your brands. Your Yamaha KTM has been going crazy. LS2, high sun, fast house, Alpine Star, Troy Lee, all these places that generally it seems like at this time of the year, nobody's posting jobs because nobody's hiring. And, you know, because budgets aren't, you know, like ready to hire. So nobody even yeah. does it yet. This year I was talking to you know, Alex Bailon yesterday about it. And I was like, man, look at all these jobs. It's like lots of stuff going up. Um, I think, you know, they're, they're really struggling to find good help. And that, that part still has me scratching my head as to why people, why more people aren't applying to these great jobs. They're all out there for them yet they're not applying. And, and it's not just like MIJ struggles with it. Cause you see these jobs on Alps and you see them on Trailly, yeah. you see them posted on other places that are aside yeah. from, from ours. And, and yet, you know, they're still, they've been up sometimes for a while. So that part is always a little head scratching as to when there's so many great opportunities, why people are struggling, why some of these employers are struggling to find people.
1: And that mix has broadened before, and, and the perpetual problem at the dealership level is we need a service tech. We need A-level tech, and you can't find it. Better luck finding unicorns than you are going to find a qualified tech, and that, that's always going to be the case. But those listings was three to one. Now it's the other way. There's OEM jobs and, and really cool marketing jobs and all this other stuff. Oh, and then here's our every third or fourth listing will be for the yeah. tech.
0: Yeah, everybody's just kind of. I mean, we are in this boom right now where, you know, me being a marketing guy, I'm kind of immersed in it all the time. But there's this term like the creator e- economy right now where it's just there's so many people, creators, that I think during this period of COVID where everybody's at home, I think so many more people have gotten into this, whether they're an influencer, whatever you want to call them. You know, there, there's a lot of people creating video, podcasts, you know, everything, every facet of, of, content because it's, these brands just can't get enough of it because that's what everybody does now. Instead of sell, 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 it's tell stories and create helpful information that hopefully gets people to land on your website and buy things. And so I don't know if that has something to do with it, but I don't know. It's definitely head scratching to me too, because you're right. There are so many good jobs out there, but you know, from my perspective, I've been running my own business you know, I'll occasionally look because I like to keep my eye on what's going on in the industry for jobs. and But it just seems like a lot of times you don't get you, – you can send a resume and then you just don't really hear much. And so it just really comes back to, again, that having those relationships, having somebody that you know in the company that will give you the foot in the door. And
2: and so that it's, – it's tough. Man, that's it. Uh, yeah. Uh, on one, I was going to – to give you an idea how gnarly it's been ktm posted a team green tech position team green for ktm uh uh, sorry did i say ktm yeah oops (laughs) i had ktm like because they uh they posted some some uh mechanic positions for factory husqvarna there's ktm (laughs) that one i knew and (laughs) but kawasaki's posted some team green and some other really really awesome race related positions that you would have thought back in the day you could have swung a dead cat and hit 50 people that would want that, you know, and, and now I think there's still been a struggle to find them. And yeah, of course, like I said, as MIJ, we want to be that place where they still post that stuff, but it's just kind of, it's just interesting to me. Cause I think back in the day, those would have been total word of mouth through the paddocks kind of thing to find somebody to fill those roles. And now it's not yeah, as easy sure. that way.
0: No, I mean, like, Outside of power sports, I just feel like I'm clueless, you know, with trying to apply for jobs. I I've, I've done it when I first got laid off, you know, like a year and a half ago, shoot, I must have spent three months applying to anything and everything I could, you know, hundreds and hundreds of jobs. And I man, I swear I probably got two, you know, two people to contact me and tell me that they were gonna go with someone else. You know, beyond that, there was nothing, you know, crickets. And so it's a weird system. I, I feel like that the whole you know, employment systems, a little bit in flux where they need to figure some things out where a lot of these brands are using, you know, some type of, I don't know if it's AI or whatever it is where, you know, scans your resume. And if it doesn't have a certain amount of keywords in it, you get kicked out and you're not even qualified. And so, you know, that human aspect is getting pulled away where again, kind of like these events that we're talking about, it's like, I feel like the more we can bring the human element back into these decisions, I think it might help fix some of these problems. At least that's my take, but I don't know what you guys think.
2: Now, I say it probably 50 times a day as I talk to people because I I do get those calls from, you know, from our job seekers who will be like, hey, I've not heard anything from, you know, whoever the employer is, pretty much pick an employer, you know, they've not heard anything back. And I have to kind of walk them through the process that is still a human. There is still a human element that you have an HR person that is probably busy. They're trying to get to that. They're probably getting called over to other meetings. They're not even the hiring manager. They're just trying to go through like resumes like what you were saying, maybe even using the the keywords and whatnot. Then then it ends up on the hiring manager's desk. Well, they don't feel like going through 40 resumes like like right now. They're busy getting pulled a million different ways. All the while while you're sitting over there like watching Ellen or <laughs> Donahue, like you know why nobody's calling you and you're like what on the other side they're busy as you know can be and that's where i often tell our employers i'm like look i'm not going to like i'm not going to i'm gonna play the part of recruiter however i said you know i do see some of these and if i see somebody who's good i'm going to tell you it's like i know this person at least get their resume moved up to the top of the heap and try to help speed that you know speed that process up for them as well because it whether you're a job seeker or an employer, the whole process is not very much fun. No. you know that's
0: so. funny that you say that because <laughs> that's such a good point. Because I remember being on the other end of the spectrum, we're like having to go through those forty resumes. I'm like just dreaded it. Yeah, you're just you're putting it off yeah. and putting it off, and then finally like, oh, we got to hire somebody. And then of course that doesn't help the the, the situation either because you're probably in a little bit of a hurry and maybe you don't take enough time to kind of vet each person. And so, yeah, it's a tough spot <laughs> no matter what.
2: I, I love- <laughs> We laugh at some of, you know, some of the effort that you see that somebody's put into building their resume, which can be a little weak, but that same effort sometimes goes into somebody who's posted a job and you're kind of surprised. It's like that they've paid the money to post something and yet how little effort they went in to try to make it look, you know, enticing and, you know, and that's where I'll, jump on the back end and help clean that stuff up for him, add photos if need be, something that tries to make that become all the more better for, you know, for the job seeker.
0: Yeah. I'm always afraid that like, you know, it's either too little or too much. Like, I feel like it's hard to strike that balance to where you're like, you're not too annoying. You know, you're being the squeaky wheel, you know, they say that squeaky wheel gets the oil, but you can also annoy the hell out of somebody too. You know, if you're, pinging him every day with an email. Hey, what do you think? You know? So that's always what I'm afraid of. But then again, like I probably think too much about it, you know? So maybe that's just what it takes these days. Show your commitment, right? <laughs> so what do you guys think about this,
2: uh, this electric movement, man? Have you seen the stark future, the VARG? It's, it's, it's funny, as you said that we were just kind of flipping through some some of the job posts and and I was literally on zeros because they had just posted a job for uh, after sales coordinator and, and kind of cool to see, cause I've been uh, talked with Mike Cunningham over there and tried to get them to post more jobs. Of course, a lot of their stuff tends to be, <laughs> tends to be more um, what's the what kind of positions do they normally have? Smart people ones engineers, yeah, engineers clearly. I'm, yeah. Clearly I'm not that guy. So smart people. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it was, and I was checking the the Stark Instagram yesterday. that started off in the morning with about three hundred followers, and by the end of the day, I think at my last look, it was at twenty two thousand. So clearly, there was a solid interest yesterday, huh?
1: And that's within Moto. Um, on Monday, Harley uh, Livewire went out with their. Uh, 2.5 billion dollar valuation they did a, a SPAC instead of an IPO which I don't know what any of those acronyms mean <laughs> either Wall Street but that's a shit ton of money going into an EV product that doesn't seem to be doing much in the real world but it doesn't really matter reality has nothing to do with it just like Tesla stock and Rivian coming onto the market uh, there are suddenly Rivian's worth more than GM is how does that happen well in cyberspace so let's 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 bring it back. I, I do like Stark, Stark being the, the blending of a real world. You got Sebastian Tortelli out there testing it to an MXGP level of spec before they drop the bomb. So yes.
0: I think yeah.
1: this is the second coming of Alta and maybe even a little bit better.
0: Yeah, I was, I was impressed with, I mean, just the fact that they actually have something. You know, like I feel like there's so many of these EV startups that are just like, we've got this coming in 2025 and this coming like there's so many of these brands that do that and then a couple of a couple of years down the road they say by 2027 we'll have if they just kind of keep kicking the can down the road but they don't actually have a product and so to see this whole thing roll out I mean you guys probably might have knew a little bit more about it than me but to me it was just a blindside I had no idea this was coming in so really cool Eric Perinard being involved I mean there's a lot of really good people
1: well, I'm just going to say that that's how, who knows everything. You shouldn't be talking to us. You should be talking to Eric Bernard because he knows what's going
2: to happen ten years from now, and how to make yeah.
0: money off. Gosh, I like that guy. He's such a cool dude.
2: No, I, I, no, I was in the same spot as you. I I got up yesterday morning and was like, "What the heck's going on here?" Man,
0: yeah, you being awesome. a product guy, Jason, I'm sure you're even. More like nerding out on that because I, I like the the chain adjusters that they, that new system they came up with. I'm just like, wow, this they really put a lot of thought into this thing. So it's, I
2: love that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. It's super cool.
1: Well, and I like the fact that it does have a chain instead of a belt, and it yeah. there is it is a motocross bike.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm glad to see it happen because I feel like it just needed to happen. You know, for somebody to really kind of step up, and then to see that it's pretty much in the same price range as a as a four hundred and fifty, I mean, that's that was pretty impressive. But I guess the, less than a
2: bicycle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true, right? <laughs> I, was, I was on Santa Cruz Bicycles website yesterday, and I was just still just blown away by by what they cost thirteen five for you know like one of their e-bike builds. I mean, granted, it's one of their best e-bike builds, but it's still thirteen five. <laughs> yeah. No bicycle is worth $13,000. Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: sorry. Definitely blows my mind. Like, a, my my buddy of mine from Montana, I went visit him in August and he was showing me his downhill bike, and it wasn't even an e-bike. And it was like a $13,000 bike or something like that. And I'm just, and I pick it up, you, know, you pick it up with one hand, I think the whole thing, I think it weighed like 16, 17 pounds or something like that. I don't know, it was ridiculous, but you know, full moto, full width moto bars, you know, like the geometry is the same as a dirt bike. And he's like, he's like, you'd hop on this and, and crush it. I'm like, well, every time I've ever gotten on a mountain bike before, I feel so sketchy. So I'm glad that they've done stuff like that to kind of do that. But still, I I just blows my mind that they can be more than a dirt bike. Yeah. Blows my (laughs) mind. So another, another question. What do you guys think on this? Uh, It seems like we're starting to see some of these outside investment groups, you know, making their way into power sports since it is so hot. You know, with the recent announcement of the race winning brands group being purchased, I think it was like a venture capital group or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But I mean, my experience, I've only had one experience with a company that had a board of directors. Wasn't certainly wasn't my favorite experience. And so it worries me a little bit, but I don't know. I guess maybe there could be good with it too. If you say so.
1: On paper, it always sounds great that we're going to give the 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 company all these assets and tools that they need, and the funding for R and D, and all these great things that can be brought to a legacy brand. But I have a hard time remembering any time that that's actually paid out for the brand. Maybe the the brand founder who cashes out, but the brand itself, um, it's it's always a touch and go situation, and and not just in power sports. I mean the the uh, Automotive industry just had their uh, big show in Indianapolis, of all places. Ironically, PRI and same thing. There's uh, the, what we see. We they're seeing the conglomeration of of legacy brands and Hooker headers and and manly valves and all these companies that were were icons are now being swallowed up by larger companies. And even that was race winning brands as M.O. as they were. Getting the, the BISCOs and the JE Pistons and the Pro-X Pistons. Everybody was was coming together for an economy of scale. And then now these guys come in over the top of them. So I, I do hope that there's more money and more resources for the individual brands. But I'm skeptical of what, what a, a Kinderhook Industries can offer a race-winning brands.
0: Yep. I agree. I just feel like the thing I worry about the most is just more people coming from the outside that just don't really know en- know enough about power sports, and that's where I have always seemed to run into problems, you know, in the past. And so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be definitely interesting. So going into twenty twenty two what do you guys think overall? You think it's gonna be more of the same as far as just what? yeah, it just seems like it's just go with the flow. every week's a new week, everything changes week to week. I don't see it change as much. I think that might be just the way it is from here on out. I don't know what you guys think, but.
1: Well, MIC numbers came out for Q3 and street bike sales are up 13.7%. And that's that's through the, the quarter. They were even higher in the spring, but we're going to close out the year at double digit growth for the second year of the pandemic. So any of those, those things that influenced us in the beginning, they've found their level and yet we're still continuing to show double-digit growth. Um, Q1, I think, will continue to see that. And then as riding season opens up, that, that 13% could be closer to a 20%. Who knows what happens with it? But I don't see the bubble bursting. I don't see a dramatic drop-off. Um, and again, for the future of the three- to five-year plan, I'm hoping that we can maintain that 10% growth or uh, just the, the marginal new customers and, and new enthusiasts that we've got because of these past two crazy years build a lifetime out of those guys. And by then I'll be
2: retired and I don't have to worry about it. You're not You're here forever.
0: <laughs> what do you think, Jason?
2: Oh, um, I like the, well, it, because I tend to be a little bit on the loose side of things. Anyways, I like the I like the little bit more organic feel that f- seems like it's going on right now that there's companies, you know, we're, we're dropping things on product. Like, kind of as it gets here rather than you know, having to be that such a solid season. Like this is when the moto gear comes out. It's like, now these people are like, all right. Uh, all right. We just got a new goggle. Cool. Let's drop it. You know, it's, it gets here when it gets here. and and I feel like it's just, it's making things more fun all the way around. You just don't know when stuff's going to hit and, and it makes it feel a little less stodgy. I kind of was feeling like that's where we were getting. It's like, everything was just feeling Way too, uh, you know, put in a box, and that's not how I like to, like, run my program. I like for things to be loose and fun. It's dirt bikes and street bikes and Harley's. I don't, I mean, and I guess side-by-side. Side, it's all that good, happy stuff. So let's keep it fun.
0: Definitely. No, I like that. So uh, one last question. So if 2020, we'll call it, we'll call 2020 a shit show, 2021 just playing weird. What what do you think the theme's going to be for 2022? I know that's kind of a weird, odd question, but I don't know. I think it's going to be my my take is is I think it's going to be more of the same. Like as far as just inconsistency, I'm talking not outside of power sports and everything. I think it's just going to be, you know, the way COVID is. It's just something we're going to have to live with. It's going to be in and out of our lives. Masks, no masks, whatever. That's just kind of what I think, but I'm I'm excited because I, I just feel like right now, like for content creation like this, it's never been better and more brands are starting to value it. And so I'm I'm going into 2022 on a feeling pretty positive about things. So I'm interested to hear what you guys, what, what your theme would be going into 2022.
1: Uh, I can go with Forrest Gump and it is a box of chocolates. We, we don't know exactly what we're going to get, <laughs> uh, but I do think that some of it's going to be pretty sweet that it comes through. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we've, we've survived the worst of it and figured out ways to, to get around it. New ways of doing this, maybe the same old thing. Um, it feels good. It it's invigorating. It's challenging again. Um, and if you, you don't adapt and survive and, uh, progress or evolve, then you die. Um, so I I, I prefer to, to go full speed ahead, even if it's I got to make a course correction midstream. Let's do it. Dump the clutch, twist the throttle, and, <laughs> and see what yeah. happens.
0: Yeah, you kind of have to. I think you have to be almost like a racer, nimble, and be able to react and go a different direction if you have to. Like you're saying, Jason, with you know when the product's showing up and the people are pushing them out the door. You know, it's almost like more of like that Renan style where people are doing drops more often and. And so they're, they're keeping their the attention span, at you know, front and center. Because as we know, everything is, everybody's trying to grab our attention in this world these days. So that seems to be one of the things. That,
1: that rent-in model is pretty awesome. Um, real old school. It goes through. There's not a, a selling season. And apparel is such a tough business to be in. And it's, you, you take it back on trade-in or you blow it out and liquidate it at the end of a season. Well, with the limited edition drop and stuff, you sell it till you don't have it. And then you drop the next thing. So that from a cost perspective and and just a a marketing tension standpoint, and something to talk about.
0: I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I agree. And then that those traditional, Oh, July one is when the gear drops every year. Well, when you got all these supply chain issues, like that kind of stuff, you got to become more flexible. You know, like you're saying, and just, and be able to go with the flow a little more and not be so set in your ways.
2: Well, I mean, I think about it from, that first Supercross season, and I guess maybe that was in twenty twenty or it was twenty twenty one. I'm not real good on my times. But look at how everything was just, you know, all the rules were thrown out the window, you know, racing and one venue for all those races. And who was canceling indie round. Yeah. Like everything ended up like landing on its feet and in a lot of ways became even more awesome than what we were expecting. You know, and those were things that we that we do like Saturday and or, you know, we did Saturday and Tuesday races last year. I mean, things that just, you wouldn't have thought on, on a normal year we would never have done because it would have been too big of a gamble yet last year proved that it was like, no, that worked really, really well. Uh, private were able to save money by being able in the same, in the same spot for, for that duration. That was awesome. So there were a lot of positives that have come out of like all of this, obviously, including the, um, growth of our you know, motorcycle sales and parts FYI. We tried to order some kids' gear uh two days ago for my son and it is every single colorway, even the ugly ones, were back ordered all the way till mid-April. So wow. Yeah, we tried everything. <laughs> it's like we were going down the gamut. And it didn't matter whether we chose, I mean, granted, yes, it's also right before Christmas, but the the April, mid-April ETA was what was like the eyebrow-raising part. You're like, "Wow, that's crazy."
0: Yeah, something that I was recently talking to Davey Coons from Bracer X, and he he brought up how you know this whole period is surprisingly it kind of brought them together in a lot of ways. When I say them them, I mean so like think about Supercross series fell. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, they were competing against one another with with outdoors, and then. I think during this period, it, it, they've kind of jumped in and said, Hey, how can we help each other out? How can we help the sport? You know? And so I feel like there's been a lot of that where people have let their guard down a little bit because this industry is inherently very competitive that way. where you know, we're competitive with other brands, which is, you know, that's fine. But I feel like there needs to be more of that. where let's come together and it, it, it seems to be happening. And so multiple facets, whether it's, you know, like on that promotion level or on the dealer level and on the, uh, mic level and so there's just a lot of positives like you say coming out of this where the industry feels like it's it's kind of growing together people are coming together a little bit more and hopefully we'll see more of that at uh, at Amex mm-hmm. here in january
1: i'm looking forward to the show uh it's, it is going to be action-packed with mpda making its breakout and the return of some legacy brands that we haven't seen in two years um so anytime that there's more than two dealers in one spot i want to be there mm-hmm. if there's gonna be a thousand i definitely have to be there
0: yeah for sure well guys i really th- appreciate your time today and coming back on and it's always a pleasure talking to both of you guys appreciate everything you guys do and everything you've done for me helping with this podcast this year spread the word out there and uh yeah it's awesome you guys are two heavy lifters badasses in the industry appreciate everything you do so Anything
2: else you want to say before we wrap up for the year? I'll say thanks to you as well, because I think you've provided a ton of cool content this year, man. It's, you know, I've listened to the shows. I Obviously you're a friend and I like your style, but if I didn't believe this, I wouldn't say it on the air. So I would just keep it to myself. So I think you've done a really, <laughs> really awesome job and I'm stoked to, tell you that I've had some friends who don't know you and tell me that you know who I've been listening to I really like that dirt buzz podcast and I'm like that stokes me out to hear because you know like you said it's it's been a wild time for people being able to create content everybody seems like they've wanted to do a podcast even that James Stewart guy thinks he wants to throw his hat in the ring and (laughs) but you've really provided something that is has some value and and is worth listening to, man. And I think it gives a lot of people, whether they're in the industry or those people who are looking to get in the industry, a fire, you know, in their little, in their tummies. And I know it does for me, man. So you have good guests and good good uh, questions, and I'm stoked that you're doing it.
1: Well, I'd say, present company excluded, your guest <laughs> has been pretty damn phenomenal, running the full gamut from the Moto Chef to an Eric Bernard doesn't get any better there there's going to be something for everybody from every aspect of this industry so give it a listen because it is definitely worth hearing and also kudos to you in another lifetime you were the guy that said we're all in this together at the the outbreak of covid and we're still in this together
0: Yep. so thank you well thank you guys that means a lot you know like it's definitely been a passion project definitely came into this not expecting anything in return but man, I've gotten so much out of it. You know, personally, I felt like it's helped me mentally. You know, I've reconnected and connected with so many people as a result of it. And so yeah, I'm going to keep, keep doing it going forward. I'll also be doing the pit pass show, um, with them going forward into next 2022. So that's been fun, quite a, quite a different experience, but I'm really enjoying it. My, my co-host Dave Slecki's awesome job. I grew up actually riding, going to the races with them, so it couldn't have worked out any better, but Again, appreciate you guys, and uh, we'll be back with some more next year. I've got some fun ideas. In fact, I'll talk to you guys a little bit after we get off here, but I I wanted to share one of my ideas. But I want to be a little more creative and in some ways a little more old school. So I'm going to leave it at that, and uh, we'll wrap up this episode for my first full season with Dirt Buzz. Appreciate everybody who's listened. And that's about it for this episode, everyone. Remember to be kind to each other, listen to good music, enjoy life on two wheels and keep the buzz rolling. Thanks for listening.